0: finish up Romans uh, 11 this week, and Ty's going to pick up Romans 12 next week as we continue. Uh, We left off at verse 22, uh, or somewhere around there, so let me just read. Uh, Paul is making the case for Israel and the restoration of Israel, Uh, again, depending on your eschatology, how you see that, and we probably won't have time to look at that, but uh, he's making the case here. Uh, That Israel, as it were, was uh, set aside for the sake of the Gentiles and that there will be a time, as you will see, when Israel will return or at least a portion. And in verse 22, Paul says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severely, but towards you, goodness, as you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So Paul is giving us warning that the Jews who fell are have fallen. We'll see they will partially be restored. But he's also giving a warning to the Gentiles not to be haughty or to say, oh, well, those Jews, they deserved it. When, in fact, you Gentiles aren't any better. In fact, you didn't deserve any mercy either. And then in verse 23, he says, they also... If they do not continue in unbelief, this is speaking of the Jews, will be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. Remember the talk about the root and the tree that we've already talked about. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. This is the Jews and Gentiles, okay? So there was, the, there was a the root, the tree, so the Jews were cut off. That was the original covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Gentiles were grafted in specifically after the crucifixion as the gospel went out, and now Paul is saying don't be haughty because if we cut off the original branches, God can cut you off, but... There's also a plan to bring the original branches back into the roots. So I know, bear with me here, we'll go through this. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness has in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So God in his sovereignty, has set aside the Gentiles for a period or the Jews for a period of time to what he calls the fullness of the Gentiles, and we'll talk about that as we get there. And so at that time, after the fullness of the Gentiles, verse 26, all Israel will be saved as it is written, the Deliverer, and he quotes out of the Old Testament, the Deliverer has come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And then verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the elect... They are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Who are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember, we talked about that. Chapter 11 or chapter 9, God chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Esau. And so that's the patriarchs. So Paul's building on all that here concerning uh, verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet... Now uh, obtain mercy through their disobedience. Even so also have been, uh, those who have been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they may obtain mercy. There's the Jews again, Jews and Gentiles. For God has committed them all to disobedience. That's Jews and Gentiles, all there, that he might have mercy on all. What an amazing verse. And then in verse 33, through 36, we'll look at that a little bit. That's the doxology as he finishes out here. So in verse 22, it's important to remind ourselves, Paul, uh, as he reminds the church at Rome, that there's no conflict between the attributes of God. The severity of God is not in conflict with his goodness. Or uh, as, uh, as some preachers uh, maybe go to one side or the other, they emphasize the severity of God, that is hell, and they forget about the... Grace and mercy of God. Others speak only of the love of God and refuse to speak of his severity. And sometimes God's wrath is emphasized and his love is completely overlooked. And so we don't want to miss Paul's point here uh, that judgment um, was on those that fell away. And, and so uh, you're, you're humanly responsible. Chapter 10, Paul makes it clear that they're responsible for their falling away. We looked last week at 1 Corinthians 10 that they all received the same blessings, and yet they fell away. So when we see that God hardened their hearts, they are still also responsible responsible for their own hardening. They are, and quite frankly, uh, as we saw in Romans 3 and Romans 5, that uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. And so uh, man and women make their choice. So the Jews are personally responsible for the rejection of God for Christ and the Messiah, they fell away. Uh, the word severely here uh, is the idea of judgment, and it could be translated cut off. The Jews were, as a period of time, cut off. That doesn't mean that since uh, Abraham, that there's no Jews been saved. We know there was thousands saved after the gospel went out, after the resurrection. But as a general period of time, during the, after the uh, initial uh, gospel went out, Jews, as it were, were set aside, uh, the Israel as a nation. And, and Paul, and most of the gospel, it's easy to look at, has gone to the Gentiles and has been propagated around the world uh, as God planned. So the goodness and kindness of God in this context is to the Gentiles. Uh, this is the free offer of the gospel. It's to be proclaimed throughout the world. And this is what we read in John three sixteen: whosoever will may come. This is the free offer of the gospel. It's not, it's not God is only sovereign over here and only election. There's also there's a responsibility. Ty did a really nice job in chapter 10 about showing that how shall they hear without a preacher? They're responsible for their own sin, but yet um, the gospel goes out. Uh, the word goodness in verse 22 has the idea of uprightness, and so it might be better understood as kindness. Um it's interesting to note at the last phrase in verse 22, if you continue in his goodness or his kindness, um, this kindness is not unconditional. A genuine saving faith is still required on man's part. Just because God is kind and brings rain to the just and the unjust, and, and you may uh, think or have made some profession, uh, if you're not persevering in faith, your true genuine saving faith is persevering faith. Those that persevere to the end will be saved. And so Paul is reminding us and the, Rome, the church at Rome that you won't lose your salvation, but it may be a sign that you were never a believer. There was never any true fruit in you. Of course, this goes back to Jesus' own words in John 15 uh, and also in John 10. So this kindness is not unconditional. This is not to say salvation is not all of grace, uh, but Paul is emphasizing man's responsibility to persevere in saving faith. We are responsible, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to persevere in saving faith. Uh, and that is uh, a doctrine that uh, we believe here strongly at Bible Chapel, and I think it's taught throughout the scriptures. So uh, any any thoughts here, comments? Okay. Um, Paul, again, is, is, is just emphasizing here as man's responsibility to persevere in saving faith. He's not introducing a new concept or changing the plan. Uh, just, uh, just so we're sure of this, uh, notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 31. Uh, Jesus says to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Just because you profess something or say you believe in it doesn't mean you truly believe. And uh, there's always a difference between intellectual belief and true belief. James says the demons what? The demons believe and tremble, right? So they, demons have some kind of faith, but it's not saving faith. And, of course, the same is emphasized, as I said, over in John chapter 15. Um, the Reformers call this perseverance of the saints. Uh, maybe a simple definition of that is once a person is truly born of God or regenerated by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they will continue doing good works and believing in God until the end of their life. That's that's the perseverance. When you go to a funeral and somebody has made a profession when they're 15 years old and they've never loved the church, they've never loved Christ, they've never loved Christ's people, even though they might have been a nice person, and they die, and you'll hear the preacher say, well, this person's in heaven, and I would say to you, show me, as Jesus says, show me your works, show me your persevering works, and your fruit for all, and so it's a warning to all of us here, right, uh, as, as we read this, all right, let's read, uh, let's go to verse 23 here, then, as we continue, uh, notice here, and they also, if they do continue, do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. Notice the cause, it's faith, right? If you continue, and by the way, the word faith is, is the same Greek word as the word believe. Uh, and so when you read uh, you must have faith or believe, it's the same uh, root word there. And so unbelief is unfaith. So Paul is just simply saying, because of your unfaith, because of your willingness not to believe in me. Uh, And so he wants to make sure that Gentiles understood that God is not through with the Jews. This is important for us uh, to understand. Uh, It's important to note that the contrast between verse 22 and 23, uh, Paul says, you continue in God's goodness, you will be saved. In verse 23, Paul says, Speaking of the Jews, if you do not continue in unbelief or unfaith and so uh, there's there's that contrast there you are required to believe, but if you continue in your unbelief who's responsible for your unbelief you are right you are and so Paul uh, is making it clear here that uh, God is uh, is able to save. Uh, in verse 23, Paul speaking to the Jews, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in it again. And of course, this goes back to verse 16, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. The first fruits being and the root have a reference to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob there. And so uh, we see Paul is making it clear to the to the Gentile believers specifically at Rome but also to us that God is not through uh, with the Jews. Um, and uh, the, if some of them have hardened their heart, as we saw as they are responsible for the death and burial or the death of Christ. Um, there is going to be a, a renewal of some kind. And so Paul is going to continue through chapter 11, and he'll show us that Israel as a nation and as a Jewish people will someday turned from their hard hearted hatred of Christ as a Messiah and bow to him in repentance and faith. There's going to be a time depending on your eschatology when that time is, but it's going to happen. Uh, how great or small it is. Um, I don't know. Um, Tim mentioned last week, my brother uh, about uh, the, the uh, about replacement theology or something. Sometimes it's called super secessionism um, It's the belief that the church has replaced or superseded Israel. And uh, there's really, quite frankly, many godly men who teach and believe this, Um, and that's their eschatology. Um, As a church, uh, we do not take a position on eschatology on the term, well, we do. Uh, We just don't take a specific position. We believe that the blessed hope of the believer for the event for which we long Live is Christ's bodily and glorious return. So that's pretty much as far as we go, even as a church. Um, we don't take a, a specific position on all millennialism, uh, dispensationalism, uh, premillennialism, postmillennialism. Uh, and quite frankly, there's those in our church who believe different ways about the end uh, and what will happen to Israel Um John Murray, a leading amillennialist, many of you probably have read things by him. Uh, He certainly doesn't believe in a literal thousand-year kingdom. But in his commentary on Romans, he says, The holiness of the theocratic concentration is not abolished and will one day be vindicated in Israel's fullness and restoration. So even amillennialists who don't believe in any millennium Believe there's something special about Romans 11. There's something going to happen in Romans 11. They can't explain. Fred Zappel, uh, Zaffel, who was uh, spoke here many years ago. Again, another on millennialist. He said uh, simply that there's something, something's going to happen to Israel. He doesn't know exactly what it is, and you can't read Romans 11 without having um, having a view of that. And so Paul's initial question, remember in Romans 11, one, I say to you then, has God cast away his people? And then remember his response, may it never be. He has not cast away his people forever. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a political movement or a social movement or even a religious movement. Uh, it's going to be a work of the spirit of the living God that's going to have to regenerate and move uh, and bring about the salvation of the Jews and the restoration um, that uh, is spoken of here. So, again, any thoughts, questions? I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to be something, something. Uh, Verse 24 here, uh, notice he says, for uh, if you were cut off out of the wild olive or the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will those who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? This is pretty simple, right? They originally, and there was this uh, tree, it's not to say that God's salvation wasn't always going to come to the Gentiles. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying in the original covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God called them out as a special nation, as a special people. And he's saying that he has grafted in the, the Gentiles into that uh, opportunity of salvation. As Salvation came through the Jews, came through Jesus Christ, uh, and came through uh, to us. Uh, through the writings of the apostles, the Jewish apostles, we also understand here, uh, again, uh, and he's just making a statement. It's not about horticultural practices. That's not what Paul's trying to teach here. Um, He says, contrary to nature, he says, contrary to the standard of horticultural practice, he's saying, you Gentiles were by nature unbelieving people. That's what he's talking about. You were by nature. You were, Romans 5, remember again, Wherefore, by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, because all are sinners, or all have sinned. So Paul continues to go back and build his case all the way through uh, from Romans. And so he just simply says, uh, you were part of the wild olive tree. However, by God's grace, you were grafted into the true olive tree, and you were brought in by grace through faith. The same as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. No different you were brought in by faith and um and, and it is because of God's mercy and his grace uh, again uh, the jews are God's special and chosen people uh, it's been previously stated uh this has been a the theme of chapters 9 10 and 11 uh, you can look at the first verses of each chapter and see God has not forsaken his people that's the jews or israel uh and the difficulty uh, in this text, I agree, does lie in the fact that there's only one olive tree. Some have said, well, the church and the, uh, Israel are really one uh, because of there's only one olive tree. Um, uh, those hold to that view uh, that God only bestows his love on one group of people. Uh, they will cite this verse as a proof text, and I, I agree that it is difficult uh, they would argue that the olive tree represents all saved people, regardless of their origin, Jew or Gentile. And again, what they would say, that only one there's only one olive tree. Um, so you can make up your own mind. Um, God is going to do something with the Jews. I know there's, this is a difficult understanding that there's only one olive tree. Uh, but um, I would just say to all of us, uh, regardless of our views, there's never an excuse for anti-Semitism, right, amongst the Jews. We should have a love for the Jews um, as God had a love for the Jews. So um, any, any, any thoughts on that? I'm trying to give both sides fair, be fair here, uh, but um, quite frankly, it's, you have to make up your own mind. Becky? Of the four major views, there's problems with all of them. And uh, I'm not going to tell you where I lean, uh, although if you asked me privately, I would tell you. But um, I do think that all four views have issues. Um, and uh, that is why, quite frankly, when the elders put together this package, we couldn't agree um, the cost on the church constitution. So uh, we thought that that was one of those that were, you know, we're going to fight for uh, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. We're sola scriptura, but we're not going to fight over eschatology. Uh, But, again, whatever your view is, you can certainly see God's going to do something with the Jews. Uh, You can't miss that. Uh, It is something. Verse 25 here uh, we read, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in, in, in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come. Uh, again, it appears to be uh, Paul is now addressing the professing Gentile believers in the church. He says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Um, he would go on to explain the mystery through the rest of chapter 11. And that's simply that the uh, blindness has happened to Israel until the Gentiles come to Christ. Um I think we see the phrase, uh, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. Uh, he's also giving, the, the, again, the professing Gentiles and us a warning about arrogance and pride. Uh, and so uh, just because the Jews are not believing now, we as Gentiles can't say, oh, those Jews, oh, those Jews. We have to say, oh, God, you saved us because we were undeserving hell-bound sinners and you showed your mercy unto uh, um, the uh, word mystery here should be understood as something hidden or not easily seen. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians uh, when he talks about the Jews and Gentiles. Um, it should not be understood as something incomprehensible or unknowing. It doesn't mean that that's a mystery and nobody can know it. He's saying, here's the mystery, I've revealed it now, and um, it's not like some of those... Uh, Mystery movies, as it were. You never know what the ending is. He's given us the ending. Uh, notice he gives us a couple things here. There's a sequence of the unfolding of this mystery in verse 25. First, the blindness in part has happened to Israel, and they will become jealous or envious of the Gentiles. And so that's this is, notice what this is all in verse 25. We have seen this. Uh, it's because of their unbelief from previous verses. God has hardened them, but yet they're responsible for their unbelief. Uh, again, um, this is uh, clear that there are many Jews that were being saved in the New Testament time, and they are still coming to Christ today uh, around the world, but not uh, as, the, as a whole. And then second, the blindness will remain until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Uh, The gospel will be be proclaimed to the Gentiles. The elect Gentiles will be saved. And then um, uh, this is, uh, for the most part, what we have seen uh, since the time of the New Testament, really. Since the time of early Christianity, there was an initial amount of Jews that were saved, but Paul and Peter became apostles, as it were, to the Gentiles, and the gospel has spread around the world. And then the phrase, uh, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come, it just simply means when the last Gentile will be saved. That's, that's it. When is that going to be? I wish I knew. Maybe I don't wish I knew. But it would be interesting to know. But that's the idea, that at some point there's going to be the last Gentile saved. And when that happens, at that point, God is going to do a work. He's going to start a work with the, the Gentiles Uh, And then um, in verse 26, he quotes, uh, so all Israel will be saved. Uh, It's a quotation from Isaiah 59. And so as a result of the gospel being preached to the Gentiles uh, and many coming to Christ, the envious Jews will at some point themselves turn to Jesus as the true Messiah. How that's going to happen, I don't know. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Here's what it says, that there's going to be a time when that, when he says um, their blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. The eyes will be opened of the Jews, and they will return uh, to Christ as a people and I think as a nation. Uh, again, the different views depend on your view of uh, eschatology. Uh, some teach this will happen uh, before the return of Christ. Uh, And that uh, after, others teach it to be after the resurrection of the believers and the final judgment. Um, Others teach that this will happen. uh, It will happen uh, during the church age. The post-millennials believe that there'll be a time when the Jews will be saved during this church age. Um, Again, you can tell I don't hold to that view and this will be that some think that it's just the total number of elect Jews that be saved throughout history. So when we read the phrase, so all Israel will be saved, some say that that just means all Jews throughout history. I don't think you can read chapter 11 and see that. I think it has to be at the time when the, the, when the fullness of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Then there will be a turning to Christ of the Jews. So, uh, Pete, did you have a comment? Right. Yeah, and so we, we talked last week, I think, about all is always in context, right? All what? You know, when, uh, when, uh, when Caesar set out to have all the world be taxed, right? That wasn't every single person that lived on the planet at that time. It was all that were the Roman Empire. And so all is always in context here. And so all the Jews will be saved. That is the, the, the believing Jews, the elect Jews, starting with chapter 9, as Pete said, and, and moving on. Um, so um, others, uh, others teach this is not a reference to the whole church of God. Not uh, just the Jews, but Jews and Gentiles combined. And I think, uh, I'm not sure that, I think there's something specific here. Some teach that there will be a thousand year millennial kingdom. Others believe there will be a millennial kingdom, but it won't last for a thousand years. So the views are all over the place. And again, go back to what the scripture says. What do we know for sure? I think it's clear from Romans 9, 10, and 11 God loved the Jews, He's not done with the Jews. And he's going to do something. And you can figure out when that's going to be. But, again, we as a church should have a a desire to see the Jews saved just as much as we see our neighbors and family and friends. Um, In verse 27, he says, um, uh, Paul is quoting from the Septuagint, for this is my covenant with them, uh, and I will take away their sins. Uh, And uh, this is a quote uh, from Isaiah 27, but from the Greek Septuagint, in um, the version there, I think it's important to note here uh, we see the, the promise, "I will take away their sins." What is that a reference to? You think? What could the old covenant not do? I'll ask you that. The old covenant couldn't take away their sin, right? So when we read, "I will take away their sin," It's because of they will become part of the new covenant. They will become believers. The old covenant could only do what? Cover up. A, a tone, as it were, cover up temporarily. As soon as the high priest sent or put the blood on the altar in the old covenant, one second later <laughs> there was sin in again, right? It was it, one millisecond later. But Hebrews makes the point that only the new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ can take away sin. So I think it's important here to note that um, uh, only the payment for sin by the precious blood of Christ and the imputed righteousness can take away their sin. Uh, The old covenant could never do that. And then in verses 28 through 30, uh, notice here, concerning the gospel, they were enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. That's what Pete was talking about. There's going to be an election of Jews from the God, from eternity past. We were chosen in him from eternity past, Jews and Gentiles. And so for the sake, notice, concerning the gospel, their enemies, when it comes to the gospel, they've turned against the gospel uh, for your sake. That is because the gospel has now gone out to the Gentiles. You and I are, are, are uh, products of that. And then, uh, but he says, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Again, who's the fathers? The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob again. They are beloved because of the fathers. And so um, in verse um, 28, at first glance, there appears to be this contradiction. How can enemies, how can Israel be an enemy and beloved? And so, uh, at the same time, the apostle makes a distinction between the current time in the New Testament and the Old Testament promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, if you look at verse twenty-eight, concerning the gospel, they're enemies. They seem to be enemies, but they're also beloved. So, when it comes to the fact of the gospel, um, in the old, uh, they are they are enemies right now, but going back to the covenant, they are. Uh, Beloved, Let me just read this uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 7. This is God speaking for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It is not because you were more in number than the other peoples that the Lord set his love on you and chose you For you were the fewest of all people, but it is because the Lord loves you. Notice what he says in here. Keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. So uh, Deuteronomy reminds us that God made this covenant with Abraham. He renewed it with Isaac. He renewed it with Jacob, not Esau. And he has kept all through the years, that promise is still waiting uh, to be fulfilled and brought into fruition. Uh, verse 29 here, uh, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, uh, this is probably the most important verse in chapter 11 that we can understand. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Who, who? Does this go back to chapter uh, 11, verse 28? The fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be changed. They are God's word. It cannot go back. MacArthur says they are unconditional and unchangeable because it is rooted in his immutability or immutable nature and expressed in the unilateral eternal covenant with Abraham. So, what God promised Abraham is going to happen. The Jews have been blinded, they've fallen away in unbelief, but there's going to come a time when the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham will happen. Uh, I think, uh, and this is my opinion, you can take it for what it's worth, but I hope it's based on the scripture. Uh, As this being one of the most important verses, uh, I think it leads to the conclusion that there will be some millennial kingdom. You can figure out if it's a thousand years or not, but I do think, in my own view, there's going to be some kind of millennial kingdom. Um, I also, uh, the promises that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, chapter 15, 18, chapter 19, uh, specifically on the amount of land that Israel um, would inherit, and you can go back and look at a map and from the Old Testament and compare it to what actually happened, the, that promise has never been fulfilled. Uh, I know some would say it happened under David uh, and Solomon, uh, but that's not completely accurate. If you look at a map, that whole amount of land that God promised in, to Abraham it was never fully occupied by the Jews. When is that going to happen? In my humble opinion, that's going to happen during the Millennial Kingdom. And uh, and so, um, verse twenty nine here, uh, the word irrevocable means not able to change, reverse, or recover. That's that's why this is so important. Um, the uh, some of you have uh, heard the term irrevocable trust right? what does that mean once you sign it and you put the assets in there you're done it's over you cannot change it and so uh, that's what it means here uh, that uh, they're irrevocable because they are founded on the immutable character of God God cannot change therefore his gifts and callings can't change so if it was possible for God to change we'd have a big problem In fact, we would have a problem with God himself and the very character of God. Uh, But uh, they're irrevocable. Uh, This is not just good news for the Jews uh, and Israel, but it's also good news for us. uh, Because those same promises that uh, in John 10, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Right. Aren't those wonderful words for us uh, to, to remember? Uh, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. What God says cannot be changed. And so we can say to our brother, John, you are in heaven based on his profession of faith and based on the very words of the God himself that, um, you will receive, you will never perish and you will receive eternal life. So in verses uh, 30 and 31 here, as we wrap up, um, Notice uh, he says, let me find 30, for as you were once disobedient to God, yet you have obtained mercy through his dis- their disobedience, that's the Jews. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they may also obtain mercy. God's plan is, you rece- how did you get saved? How did we get saved? Mercy, right? Grace. How did the Jews get saved? Mercy and grace. God is not done with the Jews. He's not done with the Gentiles. He's going to continue to save. Um, notice the phrase here God's plan doesn't end, Paul says, that he might have mercy on all Jews and Gentiles. Not every single person in the world. Again, all is in context, but the elect on all. Uh, we need to understand the word all here again is God's elect. And so uh, we have this marvelous, uh, wonderful uh, fulfillment uh, that's going to happen someday. When it's going to happen, I don't know, Uh, but it is going to happen. There's going to be something happen with Israel, with the Jews. We as Gentiles ought to be grateful uh, that God chose the Jews and also looking for the time when he will uh, raise up uh, a whole whole congregation of Jewish professing believers uh, and, and bring them to saving faith. Uh, he closes here in verse 32 through 36, one of the most beautiful um, uh, doxologies. of oh, the depths of the riches, both of his wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And he quotes out of the Old Testament, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who has first come, given to him, that it shall be repaid to him. Some rhetorical questions there uh, about the greatness of God. For of him and through him and to him all things, to whom be glory forever. Uh, Paul can't do anything else, right? He comes to the end of chapter 9, 10, and 11, and he just breaks out in this doxology. Uh, Oh, the depths and riches And both the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out we cannot know the full mind of God but we've been giving something here through the holy scriptures and uh, we are responsible for that Um, uh, Paul just can't you can almost see him as he's writing again when you're reading this it's a letter and so he's writing and writing and writing or he's transcribing it somebody else is writing it but he comes to this point he just burst out and this doxology, and, 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 and we can see that here. Um, and so uh, I asked myself, uh, that I asked you, has your soul ever been filled with the doxology that we see here, um, if, if we have received? We are no better than the unbeliever. And so if we've received mercy, it's because of God's kindness toward us. And so there's something wrong, I would submit, if we don't at times burst out in, in doxology like this. And, and praise God, um, we have all been disobedient. And without mercy, there would, we would all be spending eternity in hell. There would be no hope for us. And so Paul uh, said, God have, has had mercy on whom he ha- will have mercy you didn't get into Christ because you did something right or you were in the right family. You got into Christ because you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world, Jew or Gentile. Uh, the uh, and so this is why when we get to chapter twelve next week, Paul's going to open up with uh, uh, the, the the phrase here. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God. It is your reasonable, rational service. Why? Because of chapter 9, 10, and 11. God elected you. He elected the Jews. He saved you, the same as the Jews, and he will forever hold you. His promises are irrevocable. And so uh, I'll close with that. Thanks.